welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. transformed, that it actually did things in the community that made them viable 
in the community and made them respected in the community because I read in the Bible where it says, when we repair the waste places and ask for people to dwell in, then shall they call us the ministers of our God. That we can get our name changed from that church, those church folk, to the ministers of God by serving people. So we were able to come into the church and basically, um, I started with just my wife, a couple of folk, and it's a handful of people, but we had a mission before we started, and it was transformation. It was feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the jail, visit the nursing home, the hospital, take care of the widows and the orphans, which is Matthew 25 ministry. And then I read that verse in Luke 19 that says, occupy until I come, which the word occupy is to barter, to trade, to do the work of a banker. I saw that Jesus' ministry was marketplace ministry, that he chose his disciples from the marketplace, that there was no distinction between the marketplace and the ministry of Christ. And so that's how we got going. So I figured that, hey, I came into church and I said, why doesn't the church have their own restaurants? We're keeping Denny's and Sony's open all night. We go bowling. Why don't we have our own bowling now? We work out. Why don't we have our own fitness center? We go to the barbershop, why not have your own barbershop? We go to the beauty line, why not have clothing? And so all of these things, I just felt, were just an extension of being the church. And why not? Any church where this salt ought to be doing something about what's going on around them in their community and empowering people. That's what we're here for, to empower people. And so if somebody would have talked to me, like Umar and those guys, and they would sit in what we're doing with almost a half million square foot of mall and shopping and enterprise and employing over 200 people full time and all this kind of stuff, what would be their argument? I just don't understand what the problem is. I think that every local church is responsible for doing exactly what we do. And I don't get paid. I don't get more money, more business, more this and that. I have a salary from my local church and that's what I get paid. Everything else I use to empower people and to transform the community. And we've done just that. You've Yeah. And I love the fact that you purchase uh, buildings that are abandoned in the community because it, instead of uh, creating new buildings, you're repairing and revitalizing old ones to help the community. It, it would it would have cost us over forty five million dollars to build these buildings from scratch. Mm -hmm. We took over four hundred thousand square foot of building, only paid four million dollars for it. And out of our pocket, without a building fund drive, capital stewardship program, federal funds, state, city funds, through the basic tithing offering of the church, was able to renovate these buildings, spent almost $11 million, and now they're worth over $50 million. And we took existing dilapidated buildings that were eyesores in the community, where the community had been run down, and we came in and built it back up. We always used to say the same way God takes broken down lives, puts them back together and build them up. We did it with physical facilities. And now these things become what we call sheep sheds where we can train the sheep, we can empower the sheep to go out and be the sheep. And so that's what we've done here. Yeah, you're right. We took an old Southern Bell Bronx in the building. We took an old um, automobile, Volkswagen repair shop and, and sales shop. We took an existing mall and we, they were already here. So why recreate the wheel? We took the waste places and made them whole again. And in God's presence. And that brings come in and do what we needed to do. Uh, we're exempt in some areas because of the social services that we offer. 
And what's for profit has to pay taxes, what's not for profit doesn't have to pay taxes. Um, but we're not even here to not pay taxes. I tell people all the time, I don't need a tax exempt status to do ministry. If they want to tax us, tax, do what you got to do. I'm here to serve God, and God takes care. We're not the season, what season, when God was God. But yeah, we have been able to reduce crime significantly. It's been documented in the city, and um, that's what we did here, the multiplex and Lane Avenue, because those areas were notorious for crime, and especially prostitution. And now because of just the presence of the people of God, they're gone. And I got a couple of prostitutes in the choir. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, you also, for this building, it, it served as a business incubator where uh, initially small businesses didn't even have to pay rent but to kind of help them entrepreneurs out. Right. Actually, we had what's called the Potter's Out Multiplex. Mm -hmm. which is still there, but now it's uh, completely our elementary and middle school. Mm -hmm. But in that building, we had over 27 spaces of um, initial business startups. We had members of our church and outside of our church who wanted to do business, but usually businesses closed within the first three years because of overhead expenses. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we bought the building, we owned the building, we carved out the spaces, we built out the spaces, and we worked with young entrepreneurs and people who were afraid of the overhead, removed overhead costs, didn't let them pay a dime, but just taught them good stewardship principles, that if they prosper and do well, they should give back. But nothing uh, was mandatory for them to pay, and we allowed them to build their businesses. We allowed them to step out and to test the waters, and many of them moved on to larger facilities, many of them incubated with us, and they're now successful and doing well today. We also had another facility on MacDuff called the McLaughlin Building, where we had 20 plus businesses in there. Uh, businesses from the community and young startup businesses. The people who were established were able to pay, all right? And that covered the cost for those who couldn't pay. But what we wanted to do was to help our people get going in business and do some things and to realize that you can because we're like the first generation of black people in particular that have a chance now to do something for the next generation. I wasn't handed anything. Nobody gave me anything. My father died and left me alone and alone, you know, so there wasn't much given to us, all right? So there, there are other privileged people that have had businesses passed down, money's passed down, inheritance passed down, and they've been able to continue the family business. We're in a position where we have to start the family businesses. And so now that's what we've done. This bistro will be around when I'm dead and gone. These bistros collectively in sales alone are close to $6 million a year in sales. They started as a mom and pop shop right there in our building on our normally building in the multiplex. But that's what we're talking about. Because the mission was right, because our purpose was to empower people, and because we use it as an evangelistic tool and a ministry tool to employ the unemployable, God breathed on it. Oh, he blessed it. And so I've got offers all over the country to do franchise. We're not going to do it just yet, but eventually we may do that. And it will be used for the same mission, like Chick-fil-A has a mission, everybody to, to establish uh, a place to where the unemployable can be employed, especially black folk and underprivileged people can have jobs, can build a resume, a dossier, to be able to go out and get better jobs. But we give them experience. Even in our Christian academy, we teach them entrepreneurial skills, and we teach them money matters. 
and we show them black owned and operated businesses and people that can come in and they see owners. They just don't see people working, they see owners. And so they believe now that they too can own the business instead of just working the business. And I think that's important and I love the fact that you said that y'all employ the unemployable here because so many, especially our black men, can't get jobs once they been in the system. Been in the system. Um, I can I take you in the back now. 25% maybe of employees working here right now were formerly incarcerated, felony convictions, and nobody would touch them. But we love on them and help them and give them that job and bring them into our culture. Not only do they get employment, but they also get spiritual food and nurturement and encouragement to where they can become good citizens. And that's, that's so important because some people will say, well, the church does need to preach the gospel. Well, we preach the gospel, but there's people that are coming in that need help economically. Um, what what would be your response to those who suggest that? Well, this is not the church's land. That that's that's I would say to them that they are a little antiquated and they haven't read the Bible. Uh, meeting the total needs of the total man. Our philosophy is to take care of people socially, educationally, economically, and spiritually. It's the it's the Luke ten model. But Jesus said, you go into a city and you bless the city, right? You go in and you speak life over that city or community. You go in and basically say, this is where God sent me. That's what we did. Then the second thing he said you do is you eat whatever they put before you. And you listen to them. So you go in and eating is fellowshipping with them. You find out what the needs are. You find out where the pain is. You find out where the trouble is. And then thirdly, he says, you heal all of those that are sick. You heal those amongst them. And then you declare to them that the kingdom of God has come to you. So think about that. Before we declare the gospel or the kingdom has come or the say we're here in Jesus' name, we came and we blessed them. We sat and we ate with them. We listened to them. We healed them. We fed them. We clothed them. We employed them. And then we preached the gospel to them. The problem is people want to just preach the gospel with no remedy, no help, no assistance, no nothing. And that's where the church gets that bad name. We're more concerned about how we say it and what we say versus what we do after the benediction. Your community needs the power of God, the presence of God, the resources of God that God gives to the church. We need to take that and sow it back into our community and help the helpless and to just build people in the community. And I think that's the church's responsibility. Remember Genesis 28, be fruitful and multiply, replenish and subdue, take dominion. We split this mall up because of the Pharisees. If you step outside, you'll see that our church sanctuary, our church building is separate from the rest of the mall. It used to be one building. You know why we did that? The Pharisees, they've taken the Father's house and turned it into a den of thieves. <laughs> and you know, look at that. These are people who are in the South and who are ignorant because if you go up North, Churches are on top of bars, churches are next door to strip clubs, churches are storefronts, and it's just all business and corporate all the way down. I go to Brooklyn, Newark, New Jersey, I go to Boston, I go to Chicago regularly, we have churches there, and everything is marketplace. There is no distinction. The churches have to meet wherever they can meet because there's no land like it is in, in the South or in Jacksonville. So I know there are a lot of people who think that the church shouldn't be involved in this, but those people aren't doing anything. They're not involved in the lives of the people. They're trying to clean the fish before they catch it. They just want to have blessing parties and come together and only talk about what they can do, and that's the rap we got. 
But when we get outside of these four walls and not have church and go to church, but be the church, then that's when people are going to begin to respect the church. And that's when some of these naysayers are going to begin to say, wait a minute, the whole church is not like that. Wait a minute, there are some people that are doing it right. Wait a minute, there are some people that are not afraid to step out and do what God wants. And that's what I'm trying to do. And there are more people getting it right than they are getting it wrong. And that's but, what, but they want to pick on the wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the unfortunate part because sometimes people are so busy doing the work, they don't have time to do or even make announcements about what they're doing. And so that's why those who are doing it wrong, they have all the time in the world. <laughs> but if they were busy about the father's business, they wouldn't have time to be in everybody else's business. Talking about what they're not doing right. I tell our people all that time, all the time. But if you're just doing the work of ministry, just personally, if I was really doing what God has called me to do and what He has equipped me to do, I wouldn't have time to be worried about what Lisa's doing and not doing. But if we're on the same track, that's one reason I think Jude three is so important because it's right in line with what I see the church doing and what we need in the body of Christ. We need to have some knowledge. Jesus doesn't want us to follow him blindly. He wants us to use logic. He wants us to reason. He wants us to know. And so a lot of times people are listening to YouTube videos and Vimeo videos of information and facts that seem to contradict the word of God. But what God is doing is raising up young theologians and raising up young good theologians. Because we're all theologians, either good one or bad. But he's raising up good theologians like yourself and others concerned about the integrity of the Bible, the historical integrity, the grammatical integrity of the Bible, so that we don't, we aren't misled, we aren't mistaught, that people can't isolate the passage, or people can't use the Bible against the Bible to get people away from Jesus. So if we can manifest, I wrote an article for Original Magazine at the turn of the century, and a front page article, I was on the cover, and it talked about the message from the 21st century, it's going to be manifestation, where churches are not going to talk about, they're not going to be prophetic in the sense of there's a blue house with a red dog, but no, what they spoke is going to come to pass. And so you're going to see businesses, you're going to see uh, educational systems, you're going to see social involvement, you're going to see people developing and growing spiritually to where they are able to contend with the faith themselves. They won't be codependent upon a pastor or a leader, for Jesus trained his disciples for his absence. I go so that you can do greater works than I do. And that's what I'm trying to do. Leave a generation like yourself and others with equipment, with things to work with, so that you can do greater works than we ever did in our life. And I think that's so important. How would you, for those who are listening, pastors and leaders who are watching, how would you uh, tell them to go about this work? What's your because some people are listening and say, well, I can't do all that. Me and my, my church are, is barely making it financially, trying to break even. But what they somebody can do something. Yeah, I started with nothing. I started, I remember when I first $200 offered. You know, I remember when I used to look out of the window to see who was coming. And I was counting cards and those type of things. Oh, God, they came back. They came <laughs> back. So I can relate to people who don't have much. A lot of times those people who don't have much can't relate to those people like myself who seem to have accomplished much. But I have a book that I'm going to be writing and probably presented as part of my dissertation. And it's, it's called Mega Church Impact. But church is scratched out. So the book will read Mega Church Scratched Out Impact. Just Mega Impact. So you can impact your community. You can impact the people that you pastor, lead pastors, without being mega. 
You don't have to have a bunch of money. You don't have to. My wife and I started our food and clothing ministry out of the trunk of our car. We would buy some groceries. We'd sit out in front of the church. People would come by. We would help them. Just now and today, I just left some people at our building, but there'll be hundreds of people every day. We give out tens of thousands of pounds of food every year, tons of food. Uh, but it started out of the back trunk of our car. It has to start somewhere. So what you do is you assess the needs of your community. We were doing free auto repair. We still do free home repair, free lawn services. We would assess the needs of our community and physically just go out and do what we could until we befriended the community and now the community receives us and now we now receive the community in us and then we grow and then we build. But the key is you don't need mega numbers. You just need to have mega impact. Jesus took the tw took 12 and turned the world upside down and one of them was the devil. So the deal is, is that you can start somewhere. You can do something. And we use Matthew 25 as our basis when Jesus said, that's what you're going to be judged for in that day. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Hungry, you didn't feed me. Start there. In jail, you didn't visit me. Start there. Start doing something that gets you outside of the four walls, that brings the resources of the increased vision that will come when you start meeting the felt needs of people. That's, that's all it is to it. Just be who you are. Don't compete with the next person down the street. Complete with the next person down the street. You might need to hook up with somebody that you can assess, like us. We don't mind other ministries and stuff coming in since we already have so many things in place. Join in with us in your outreach efforts. Allow your people to come and feed the hungry through the system that we have in place. Allow them to go to the jails and prisons with our ministry. And imagine if every church would just allow that type of synergy to take place, then we would be one body and covering the city and doing what we need to do with the gospel. So that's what we should take. And if you're out there and you're listening and you want to help out, you want to be a part, you don't have the resources, then get with somebody like myself, our ministries. We have several pastors and leaders over those ministries that you might be able to come in and, and sow some seed of, of labor, of sweat equity, and then watch God do it for you. I promise you. We'll teach you how to do it, and then you go home and do it yourself. And I think what's, something that was important that you said, you work with the community to gain their trust. Because you have to have the trust of the community to be able to be effective in the community. I think your reputation, if you read, uh, I have an article uh, uh, called The Wizard of Oz. It's in Leadership Journal. And um, this, uh, the, the, the magazine came in to do an article. They're also part of Christianity Today. And Eric Swanson, who's editor, came in and he studied our church. And he talked about our impact in the community. And, and if you read the article, he concludes the article by saying, Bishop McLaughlin says in our conversation that a church ought to be so impacting in the community that if they left the community, the people would notice and the community would be impacted or affected by it. He said after visiting the Potter's House and spending time with them, if the Potter's House left the community, not only would they notice, but the community would weep. And so he was saying that you're so enamored and so connected to the community so involved in the community and the community in us. We're sitting in the Potter's House so peaceful now, right? The community is in this place. There are thousands of people that are going to come through here this fall today, right? It's a reflection of the community. Our clientele is about 65% uh, white, 40% black, 5% other. And we're in this place and we're serving the community. That's a big number. That added up to 105. <laughs> That's 65, 30. And five. Yeah, you got it. 
And so uh, uh, that's a reflection of the community because that's what the community is. Mm -hmm. So we brought the community together and the community now trusts us. Ask anybody about our reputation in this community and they'll tell you, oh, those people feed, those people clothe, those people empower, those people help. It's a safe place. We have our mall that's used as a walking trail. For people in the community who are afraid to walk outside and there's just a lot of different things that go on here that uh, that that wouldn't happen of course in the community we weren't here. when the power goes out and something goes down there's hundreds of people standing outside that's dysfunctional because they can't get in the building because the power's out or something or the facility is not open so yeah if we left the community the community would weak what happens if you were to leave your community what happens if something were to happen and you could no longer do what you were doing anymore? People should feel your impact. They should feel the fact that you're no longer there. And actually, you should so befriend your community and meet its need that they should weep if you decide to go in. That's why you just can't go and start a church anywhere. I always people ask times, where are you going to start a church? Wherever I can find a building. Ah, wrong answer. Because you need to have a burden for a community and there's something that you have that that community needs. You can't serve within the community and not serve the community in this country. And I think that that's so important what you brought up. What would be uh, your your uh, how would you deal with kind of how we empower the community? Because sometimes we want to. I like when you're doing, you're employing people, not just giving them a fish, but right. just teaching them how to fish. Right. And so many churches just start with just start and stop with just giving away, but not empowering people economically. Right. Provide courses. You had a, a credit union um, to just empower the community, so they'll know how to fish. They'll know how to start a business. They'll have the tools to to be the, to be independent. We started our federal credit union, NCUA, NCUA, FDIC federal credit union, to teach people money management. We started it as a savings tradition, so we can teach them about loans, loans, about retirement, and all those type of things. We teach it in our school education. And then our employees uh, even talk money management. We do these seminars for them. We do these for our church. But we teach people how to manage their money, how to give to God, how to save, how to invest. It doesn't take a whole lot of money to do that. It's a mentality. So that when the money does come, if your, your ship does come in, you won't sink like many people uh, who hit a lot of them broke in three years. Um, athletes, I have athletes in our church who used to make millions of dollars and now they work for us and they're, they're broke because they didn't know how to manage their funds. They didn't know how to take care of it. The church is responsible to teach people how to be good stewards. Jesus taught his disciples and us through the disciples and through the gospels how to be good stewards, how to manage money, how to invest. He expects users interest. He wants us to, to increase. He wants us to get more. He gives talents gives abilities. Now, we have to have people that can point us in those directions. The problem in America is we're a pragmatic society. We want five keys, six ways, seven easy steps to this and that. But what works is not necessarily what's right. But what's right will always eventually work. So what we decided to do was do what's right. You don't plant a seed and get a tree the next day. You don't do certain things and get results overnight. You have to till it and sow, sow into it, water it. You have to fertilize it. You, and the fertilize it. you got to have some stuff to happen to it so that it can bring forth the fruit in its season. 
our problem is we've mastered everything in the church except waiting. But when we start right and do it right and wait on the Lord, we don't get weak, we get stronger. And then when the harvest comes in, we have to know how to handle it and, and uh, steward the harvest. And that's what we've been able to do. So employing our people is not giving them a fish, it's giving them a job. It's helping them to be the, the fathers and the mothers um, that they need to be to provide and then to manage it and so on and so on and so on. So the credit union was meant for that. But let me tell you what happened to the credit union. We still hold the charter. We were the first church owned and operated federal credit union in the state of Florida. And the bottom fell out during the recession in 2008. So now everybody's coming to the credit union to borrow money. $1,000, There were times I would just give people $500 out of my pocket, out of my account, to keep them from borrowing money and paying back interest and usury on that. So when we saw that people were now desperate and just borrowing money, we shut the grid room because we didn't open it for them. But the, the time dictated that they borrowed. And then when they started borrowing and couldn't pay it back, guess what they would do? I ain't going back to church because you know they know we own money. So that's what happens, and that's what happened to us. But our goal was to educate people and to teach them how to save and how to be good students. And I think that's so important because in our communities, in the African-American community, that's crucial because people don't necessarily aren't trained on good money management. Right. So that's where the church has to step up and step in and say, okay, you know, maybe in your if you go to a multi-ethnic church, you say, well, they're not teaching that. Well, their people don't need that. Right. Um, you have to consider the culture, consider the needs of the people um, before you make critiques, because I've heard people critique, you know, why are they talking about money? Well, people don't know how to manage their money. That is a great point, Lisa, and I think every pastor needs to hear that because I've often shied away um, from teaching on money because of the abuse that I've seen and I'm a pastor, right? My offering sounds like this. Okay, guys, it's time to give. Come on, ushers, let's just receive the offering. No encouragement, no teaching on this and that. So I had to start changing that to say, wait a minute. Some of these people don't know nothing about giving, nothing about stewardship, nothing about managing their money. We need to involve that. So we have money management classes, Dave Ramsey. We use his courses and stuff. And we have instructors and teachers who are certified who do that and teach those classes. And we do that apart from Sunday morning. So the reason I think I don't have to preach a mini sermon on giving every week is because when you come into our church, it's not welcome to the Father's house. It's welcome. Maybe you want to be a part of us. Here's what we believe about living for God. Here's what we believe about giving to God. Here's what we believe about worship. And so we teach you in the new members orientation and new converts who we are. Now that you know who we are, do you want to be a part? And I think when we teach stewardship in the inception of people coming to a church, it becomes a much a part of their life and activity in the church as just living for God, as not committing crimes and not going out here and killing people and stuff like that. We don't have to tell them every week not to do that. We shouldn't have to tell them every week, but we at least have to tell them. And we have to educate them. You made a good point about the other side of the track or in a multi-ethnic type of community where people have had access to funds, have had some of this training, have had monies passed down and stuff. They know how to manage and they're better equipped. When our people come from our communities and where we are often, like me, I didn't have a dad. Uh, my mother worked three jobs. I didn't have any training. I brushed my teeth, right? And my wife said, you're splashing 
toothpaste all over the mirror like nobody ever taught you to brush your teeth. And I looked at it with a tear in my eye and I said, nobody did. <laughs> I had no one there. I had to do it on my own. And I think a lot of us have had to do it on our own and we've done it wrong. But we need pastors, according to God's own heart, who will feed the people with knowledge and understanding. People that will equip folk, black folk in particular, our people, to be good stewards. And to not listen to some of the skills that people throw on the church about we're just about the money and just how are we just about the money I can just sit here right now and say Lisa we, we uh, have employed hundreds if not thousands of people over the 20 plus years that we've been in ministry we've owned our own bank we haven't looked for anybody for anything we've never had a stewardship program or, or a building fund drive you know I can sit here and go through the basic tithe and offering design on a dime We've been able to remodel and renovate to where now we have over $50 million worth of properties and about to build on 33 new acres in the future for the generations to come, some things that will be needful for those generations. And we haven't had a handout or asked anybody to do anything. We pool our resources, we synergize, we work for the benefit of others. Do you know why people give so liberally in our church, even though I never had a philanthropic gift or never had a big donor, anything in our church? When people can see that you're feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, taking care of business, and concerned about your community, when they come to the worship experiences and sit in a 4,000-seat auditorium, a 1,000-seat church, they see all the stuff that's going on, and they know you're not begging, and they know that their money is being used properly and going back into the community and meeting the felt needs of people. People will liberally give as a result of that. There's some people out here that's killing the church about it. They just have money and this and that. That if they came to our church, I believe they'd write the biggest shake they ever wrote in their life. Why? Because they see that our own churches are what you're saying. And they need to stop doing that. I mean, I, as, as a prophet, as a man of God, you know, I can pronounce, uh, I wouldn't pronounce a judgment particularly on individuals but that's not a good thing to do when it comes to the house of God and the things of God you don't want to find yourself fighting against God and the Bible teaches that so I, I think that those guys need to meet people like myself and others and sit down and have this kind of conversation in this type of facility because this is first class facilities this is done right and it's productive and it's doing what it was intended to do. And we have won more people to Christ even in these places because without any federal funds, state funds, city funds, I can do whatever I want to do. I can put up a pulpit in the middle of the hallway out here and preach all day long if I wanted to. But our goal is, like Sir Francis Assistant said, make disciples and use words if necessary or if you have to. I'd rather them see what God has done and them ask us is this God? And then we have an opportunity to share. That's what I meant by the manifestation first in the 21st century. Well, I'm going to leave you with the last words, Bishop. What would you like our audience to know? You're going to leave with the last words. I've had every <laughs> word up until this time. But that's pretty nice of you. That's pretty sweet as the host. And uh, I think you do well as a host in, in feeding and trying to get out of your guests what they have to offer to people. So some people may say, you talk a lot or he needs to let Lisa talk. Lisa is here to say, to get answers to some of these questions, to share with her audience from people who are doing what they're doing and know what they know so that you can get the information. And what I would say to you that are out there is that in order to really be the church, 
in order to really prove and to have some substance and to be able to contend for the faith and to be able to give an answer to these people who question the validity of the church, even in our giving and economics, that we need to manifest that church, you need to be doing something that says, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about others. Jesus would move with compassion, and he came and he saw all of those who were sick and, and ailing, and he healed them. And if we're gonna be like Christ, then we need to assess what's going on around us, have the same compassion, and do what we can to heal. The anointing is not to make you famous, and not to get you rich. The anointing is that you might heal all those who are oppressed of the devil. And he comes and anoints us so that we can be used by him. And what we've done here in the city with the mall, with our school, our academy, with uh, the other facilities that we're going to be building, uh, the outreaches that we have, the number one jails and prison ministry in the state of Florida, number one in food and clothing in the city of Jacksonville. And what we've done is said, we're not here for ourselves, we're here for others. We're here to empower the people now and generations to come. We're going to be the first generation that I know that leaves an inheritance to our children's children to where they'll have something to start with and to work with. And they won't be dependent upon anybody but God. And we'll be able to see God raise up young entrepreneurs, young politicians, young lawmakers, young and strong new presidents for the future. Because we're concerned more than just about a Bible verse, but those Bible verses leave us to being, lead us to being productive citizens and lead us to being the kind of people that Jesus had in mind when he came and when he left and sent back the power of God. Love y'all. I just want you to know I love Lisa. I love the Jew 3 Project. Support it. Sow into it. Give something towards it. I know Lisa didn't ask me to say this. I don't care. <laughs> But I still believe, as I've tried in our last, our last event, I just felt led of God, called Lisa, and said, I want to sow something to help you out, to be a blessing. And I want you to be a blessing, all right? So think about that. Pray about it, because this is very important, and it's real. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Bishop. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for watching another episode of the G3 Project. Until next time, know what you believe and why you believe it. Yes. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.